This is section 64 of Mark Twain, A Biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography, Volume 1, Part 2, 1866 to 1875. Chapter 64, Olivia Langdon. Clemens did in fact go to New York that same evening to spend Christmas with Dan Sloat and missed Bliss's second letter. It was no matter. Fate had his affairs properly in hand, and had prepared an event of still larger moment than the publication even of Innocents Abroad. There was a pleasant reunion at Dan Sloat's. He wrote home about it. Charlie Langdon, Jack Van Nostrum, Dan, and I, all Quaker City Nighthawks, had a blowout at Dan's house and a lively talk over old times. I just laughed till my sides ached at some of our reminiscences. It was the unholiest gang that ever cavorted through Palestine, but those are the best boys in the world. This, however, was not the event. It was only preliminary to it. We are coming to that now. At the old St. Nicholas Hotel, which stood on the west of Broadway between Spring and Broom Streets, there were stopping at this time Jervis Langdon, a wealthy coal dealer and mine owner of Elmira, his son Charles, and his daughter Olivia, whose pictured face Samuel Clemens had first seen in the Bay of Smyrna one September day. Young Langdon had been especially anxious to bring his distinguished Quaker City friend and his own people together, and two days before Christmas Samuel Clemens was invited to dine at the hotel. He went very willingly. The lovely face of that miniature had been often a part of his waking dreams. For the first time now he looked upon its reality. Long afterward he said, "'It is forty years ago. From that day to this—' She has never been out of my mind. Charles Dickens was in New York then, and gave a reading that night in Steinway Hall. The Langdons went, and Samuel Clemens accompanied them. He remembered afterward that Dickens wore a black velvet coat with a fiery red flower in his buttonhole, and that he read the storm scene from Copperfield, the death of James Steerforth but he remembered still more clearly the face and dress of that slender girlish figure at his side. Olivia Langdon was twenty-two years old at this time, delicate as the miniature he had seen, fragile to look upon, though no longer with the shattered health of her girlhood. At sixteen, through a fall upon the ice, she had become a complete invalid, confined to her bed for two years, unable to sit, even when supported, unable to lie in any position except upon her back. Great physicians and surgeons, one after another, had done their best for her, but she had failed steadily until every hope had died. Then, when nothing else was left to try, a certain Dr. Newton, of spectacular celebrity, who cured by laying on of hands, was brought to Almira to see her. Dr. Newton came into the darkened room and said, open the windows, we must have light. They protested that she could not bear the light, but the windows were opened. Dr. Newton came to the bedside of the helpless girl, delivered a short, 
fervent prayer, put his arm under her shoulders, and bade her sit up. She had not moved for two years, and the family were alarmed, but she obeyed, and he assisted her into a chair. Sensation came back to her limbs. With his assistance she even made a feeble attempt to walk. He left then, saying that she would gradually improve, and in time be well, though probably never very strong. On the same day he healed a boy, crippled and drawn with fever. It turned out as he had said. Olivia Langdon improved steadily, and now at twenty-two, though not robust, she was never that, she was comparatively well. Gentle, winning, lovable, she was the family idol, and Samuel Clemens joined in their worship from the moment of that first meeting. Olivia Langdon, on her part, was at first dazed and fascinated, rather than attracted, by this astonishing creature, so unlike any one she had ever known. Her life had been circumscribed, her experiences of a simple sort. She had never seen anything resembling him before. Indeed, nobody had, somewhat carelessly, even if correctly, attired, eagerly, rather than observantly, attentive, brilliant and startling, rather than cultured, of speech, a blazing human solitaire, unfashioned, unset, tossed by the drift of fortune at her feet. He disturbed rather than gratified her. She sensed his heresy toward the conventions and forms which had been her gospel, his bantering, indifferent attitude toward life, to her always so serious and sacred. She suspected that he even might have unorthodox views on matters of religion. When he had gone, she somehow had the feeling that a great fiery meteor of unknown portent had swept across her sky. To her brother, who was eager for her approval of his celebrity, Miss Langdon conceded admiration. As for her father, he did not qualify his opinion. With hearty sense of humor and a keen perception of verity and capability in men, Jervis Langdon accepted Samuel Clemens from the start and remained his staunch admirer and friend. Clemens left that night with an invitation to visit Elmira by and by, and with the full intention of going soon. Fate, however, had another plan. He did not see Elmira for the better part of a year. He saw Miss Langdon again within the week. On New Year's Day he set forth to pay calls, after the fashion of the time, more lavish then than now. Miss Langdon was receiving with Miss Alice Hooker, a niece of Henry Ward Beecher, at the home of Mrs. Berry. He decided to go there first. With young Langdon he arrived at eleven o'clock in the morning, and they did not leave until midnight. If his first impression upon Olivia Langdon had been meteoric, it would seem that he must now have become to her as a streaming comet that swept from zenith to horizon. One thing is certain, she had become to him the single, unvarying beacon of his future years. He visited Henry Ward Beecher on that trip, and dined with him by invitation. Harriet Beecher Stowe was present, and others of that eminent family. Likewise his old Quaker City comrades, Moses S. and Emma Beach. It was a brilliant gathering, a conclave of intellectual gods a triumph to be there for one who had been a printer-boy on the banks of the Mississippi, 
and only a little while before a miner with pick and shovel it was gratifying to be so honored it would be pleasant to write home but the occasion lacked something too everything in fact for when he ran his eye around the board the face of the miniature was not there still there were compensations inadequate of course but pleasant enough to remember it was sunday evening and the party adjourned to plymouth church after services mr beecher invited him to return home with him for a quiet talk evidently they had a good time for in the letter telling of these things samuel clemens said henry ward beecher is a brick end of chapter sixty four olivia langdon read by john greenman